Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon Pham. If you want to support our podcast, please go to our patreon.com forward slash Unchained. Any support is awesome support. Uh, we rely on you guys, our patrons, to improve the podcast. We have a lot of cool things that are happening, and uh, we appreciate your support. Please make sure to check out our proud partners, 80.LV's website. They have awesome articles such as Cyberpunk Environment Production Techniques. Sergey Panin did an excellent breakdown of his gorgeous environment created for the Beyond Human Art Station Challenge. Check out also the natural landscapes in CryEngine. Bruno William Reese talked a little bit about the way he's shaping up those wonderful landscapes. What's also catching on nowadays is simulation tools in Houdini. Sebastian Taffini talked about some amazing work he's been doing with special effects for film and ads. So go over there, give them a like, check them out. Now let's get back into the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sitting next to the radio, driving in your car, streaming from online at soundcloud.com, wherever, however this voice is coming to you right now, you already know, it's Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. I never do it alone like Peter Pan and his shadow. I brought my best friend with me. He's on a first name basis with every person that has a first name, Mr. Brandon Fail. What's up, Larry? This <laughs> is Brandon, and uh, joining me this week, we have Phil Tibioski. Oh, God damn it. Tibioski. <laughs> Tibioski. See, I told you, dude. You're good. You're I good. Get, you got it. Looks like I can try it. It's, it's yeah. good enough for me. How's so it going, guys? One of those is his last name. One of it. <laughs> you just yeah, list them you all. You can go by, I go by Phil, P Tibbs, Tibbs, any okay. of those work perfect awesome how you doing man thanks for joining us this week dude thanks for having me i'm doing good how are y'all doing we're good man so uh at this point of the podcast we usually ask our guests uh you know a little bit about their background resume you know where you're coming from just to introduce yourselves to our listeners yeah for sure uh so currently i'm president at young horses inc uh, which is a small game development studio in Chicago of about eight people, including myself. Uh, and by president, I mean, I handle business stuff and then just like any other miscellaneous things that anyone doing the creation of the game should not have to deal with. Um, but uh, my career started going to DePaul University here in Chicago. I kind of always wanted to make games, but had zero experience doing so uh, and handled only really just played them up until that point uh i went to school and had like a programming concentration so i was just taking a lot of computer science classes and stuff like that uh mixed in with some game development game design classes uh a lot of team projects stuff like that uh around my junior year uh there was a program called the DePaul game experience uh that was entirely centered around uh it was extracurricular but had like professors as advisors 
and it was entirely centered around making a game to enter into the independent games festival at the game developers conference uh, each year and try to win like the student category. Uh, and that's kind of what Octodad came out of was a group of around 18 students, a uh, team that I was on. And uh, that kind of kind of blew up or at least Octodad like got a lot more attention than we expected. Um, and then we were like, well, maybe we could actually make a real thing out of this. Cause this was around the same time that, uh, I don't know, team meet, uh, Fez, a, a bunch of stuff was kind of blowing up in the independent space and making it seem, e even though those were outliers, if you actually look at it, it made, uh, us feel like it was a possibility to take that as like our career direction. Um, so we decided to form a studio and basically a lot of the people on that 18 person team were like, yo, this is way too, <laughs> this is way too risky, or I want to work on bigger games at bigger studios, or, or, you know, I don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. Um, but uh, originally nine of us were excited and interested in doing that. And so we kind of took to uh, trying to decide what kind of studio we wanted to be, like what the more professional real version of Octodad was going to look like, and uh, ended up running a Kickstarter, not necessarily just to raise money, but to prove that this was something worth pursuing. Um, we ran that. I'm kind of jumping over things because if I go through everything, it's going to take forever. But like, uh, we ran that in, I want to say July of 2011. Uh, ran it for a month, raised 24 grand, which isn't like chump change or anything, but it's not enough to fund a team of eight, you know, like eight or nine people. Um, to make anything for, for any amount of time reasonably. Um, but it did fund us uh, to be able to take the game to a bunch of different conventions and conferences and stuff like that. Uh, and then otherwise we had side jobs or other full-time jobs that we were doing or living off savings, stuff like that while we were making Octodad Deadliest Catch. Um, but basically after three years that came out, uh, January 30th, 2014, Hey. Uh, and did pretty well, uh, gave us kind of the, the room to quit our other jobs and, uh, port it to different consoles it's on PS4 and Xbox one and, uh, Wii U and mobile with iOS and Android, both iPad, uh, iPhone and Apple TV, weirdly enough, and all over the place. Um, but so so that came out in the beginning of 2014, and then since, I want to say February 2015, uh, after all those ports, uh, we've been working on a new project as Young Horses. Uh, and that's kind of, I don't know, a basic timeline. So I went straight from school into this, and I mean, I had, I had another job where I was doing some programming for an advertising technology company for a little while. Uh, but uh, besides that, this is the only game development job I've ever known, weirdly enough. Well, I've got to ask a very important timeline question, which all the audience members want to know after hearing you describe your 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 rise. Um, how soon after release was it that you were able to then say, oh, shit, I don't need another job anymore? Like, can you kind of describe the moment yeah. from hitting the button, going gold, and then to like, oh, we this is now everything to me. This is now my full thing. So let's talk about that period. Let's see. So before release, I quit my job to help finish the game and get it out the door 
about two months oh, wow. before it came out, uh, which was a bit of a gamble, but I did have a little bit of savings at least to last that amount of time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, came out January 30th, 2014. And I want to say we decided to go full time with that with young horses uh, around March of that same mm. year. So like two, well, almost three months. Mm. Uh, part of that was our own like warped expectations. Cause we had become friends with a lot of people who had also done similar things and been like extraordinarily successful, like Davy Reedon uh, with Stanley parable or Alexander Bruce uh, with antechamber and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people whose numbers we had heard uh, behind closed doors and been like, Oh, well this is clearly like what we should be shooting for. And then we came out and we did really well, like looking back on it and understanding that now, but when we were looking at it, we're like, Oh, we're like way short of whatever they did initially. Um, and so I think we were a little bit skeptical that first week, even though our numbers were great. Uh, and so we just kind of like kept waiting on it, waiting for it to just suddenly plummet and, and for the, you know, the tail <laughs> to, to, to destroy itself. But yeah. it kept steady. And then as we released on more and more platforms, it kept going up uh, before, you know, eventually slowly went down. But like uh, at that point when we realized that like, it's not going to just suddenly drop and, you know, uh, destroy us is when we decided like, okay, we can call this like our real jobs now uh, that we're making money from it. Did the team grow, um, when the original eight to release, did you guys seek more people during that development stage? Uh, we had for daily sketch, we had some contractors for, uh, animation and a little bit of modeling, but, uh, some prop modeling. But outside of that, uh, it was just the, the same team. Um, we do have a new person now. We, we kind of lost a person after release, shortly after release. And then about a year and a half ago, we gained an environment artist uh, just because the game we're working on right now is, is way too large for one artist to handle everything, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, besides animation close to the case with Dadly's Catch. Um, so yeah, we're, we're still eight people now, uh, but we weren't that much larger during deadliest catch um, outside of like voice actors and stuff. So during your uh, college days, uh, when this was just a, a school project, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned, you know, it got a lot more attention than uh, you guys initially thought. <laughs> so what, what exactly happened uh, during that period? So uh, that whole experience started around may of 2010 uh when they they interviewed a bunch of students um looked at like their class work and stuff like that kind of like a real job interview uh and then chose 18 people who they thought would work well together uh that was patrick curry and scott roberts were our advisors for that um and everyone on the team no matter their discipline was kind of allowed was allowed to pitch whatever game idea they had. It was just a bunch of mm-hmm. one page concepts and we just kind of broke those down and voted on them until we arrived on three that we wanted to actually prototype mm-hmm. and then looked at the three prototypes and decided on the game and Octodad came out of that. Oh, um, nice. And then like five, almost six months later, uh, when it came time to enter it into IGF, 
we also put it live on our website to download for free because it was maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes for an average player to go through that. Mm. Uh, and we just figured like, well, this doesn't really feel high, like high enough quality to sell for any amount of money. And it, it's more about like, I don't know, a lot of student projects never see the light of day or they only see the class and your peers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, And you're never going to get really the level of feedback that you need to make that anything better uh, with that amount of exposure. And so it was just like a big deal to be like, here's our game free to the world. Anyone can play it. Um, and uh, two people on our team who are still on the team, John Murphy and uh, Devin Scott Tonkin had a flash game called acid couch previously that they'd worked on for a game jam, I think. And uh, Mike Rose, who at the time wrote for indiegames.com, uh, had written about that game uh, from it being in a game jam. And so when we finished Octodad, they just talked to Mike and were like, hey, we think you might like dig what we're doing now because you, you know, gave us okay. coverage on our previous game. Uh, and it kind of rolled from there. I think it went from uh, indiegames.com and then Rock, Paper, Shotgun picked it up and then uh, Kotaku and then it kind of just kept going. Uh and since it was free to play uh, at the time, uh, content creators, YouTubers, streamers, and that sort of stuff were just like starting to, to pick up steam. Uh, or at least uh, we were actually starting to notice that it was kind of a thing that people were doing Let's Plays and stuff like that. And Octodad, uh, both the first one and Deadliest Catch are pretty uh, popular with Let's Players just because to a lot of people, the game can be more fun to watch than play. Uh, and I think that's a lot of what propelled it to being popular. Um, so kind of a mix of all those things. And then also when we entered it into the independent games festival, it got, it ended up getting nominated then in January of 2011, uh, when those rolled in and, you know, we were stoked about that and we brought it to GDC in March and had a, had a booth at the independent games festival pavilion, uh, at Moscone center. And, uh, I don't know, a lot of developers and people who made games that we really respected or were excited about came by and played and we just met like a ton of people that um, over the years have been like essential to, to our success, I feel like, just because none of us went to school for anything related to business or uh, running a company or, or, or anything like that. And so just being able to like kind of mine those people's brains over the years uh, and figure things out as we go has been invaluable. Um, guy named Chris Osborne, who worked at uh, previously, it was called Gaijin Games. Uh, now it's Choice Provisions, and now he works at Google, I believe. Uh, was a huge help. Uh, and then Patrick Curry, one of our advisors on the original project, was a huge help because they had both started businesses before. And, uh, we spent a lot of time having meetings with them and they were nice enough to just like freely give advice and you know answer our questions and stuff like that so i don't know i could ramble on about this stuff forever so stop me <laughs> no sure. we're not gonna stop uh, me. we're gonna ask you right <laughs> there we go i do i do want to jump back in so you were saying your student project was it sounded like because of how you guys were voting the entire class was going to work on one project together or were you split into teams inside the same class uh Octodad, once we decided on it, uh, everyone worked on it okay. in that 18-person okay. team because it, it was 
supposed to stim- like simulate a actual studio or a small studio. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, a lot of the class projects we had at DePaul were maybe like four people, two people, yeah. stuff like that. And so you don't really get the full experience of there being uh, discipline leads and stuff like that. And in this case, we did because there'd be, you know, a programming lead and then there'd be four other programmers too. Mm-hmm. And although that isn't quite the scale that some studios are at, it at least gave you mm-hmm. a better idea of the fact that like, oh, I have to talk to my lead about this first and then my lead's going to bring it to everyone else and then they're going to come back and uh, stuff like so that. How accurate would you say the <laughs> college version of the game development studio experience is to what you guys are doing now? less so just because (laughs) with there being eight of us uh Mm -hmm. everyone does two three or more things within the Mm -hmm. studio um and everyone is kind of a master of their domain um but everyone also has a say in everything everyone else does to some extent we're i don't want to say we're flat because i don't think that's all that real but it, it, it it's just that uh, some people like uh, over the years we've grown to trust each other about certain things, mm-hmm. and it's like oh if our our lead artist has an opinion about the look of the game that he that he really thinks is important or really thinks is uh, is essential, the rest of us will likely take that opinion with more weight than if if I had an opinion about that. Um, we all hear each other out, but in the end, there is a person who has like final say on something, depending on whatever it is. Um, mm. Or if it's our environment artist, she'll have final say or, or whatever. So, it, I don't know. It, it's kind of similar, but I think we're actually doing a better... I hope we're doing a better job now than we were then <laughs> uh, as students. Yeah. Uh, and we've definitely developed some things over time that have helped us manage that and make it a more productive... Uh, friendly thing rather than an argument all the time um so so i don't know i mean it's it's not that much like a big studio but we have a way that has worked for us even though from the outside in like even when my my wife will like i'll talk to her about a meeting or something and it was like two or three hours or something and she's just like that's insane like how did you guys have a meeting that long that so it sounds so unproductive like you know people aren't working during that amount of time or whatever but it, i don't know it works for us so. and decision making determines work so right. decision making is also important um i have one last question for you as far as you know focusing on this early stage so since this was a student project that rolled into career project that rolled into studio that you still work with these same people with how do you feel about that path right like did you have plans of maybe working for like an esteemed or established company out in the industry, gaining some experience and maybe running your own company or, you know what I mean? Cause like, can you, do you have any thoughts on like rolling right into your student project, becoming a company versus, yeah, I really want to make this portfolio and work at Blizzard or Naughty Dog or Konami or one of these other big companies. Yeah. For the longest time, uh, I wanted to work at Bungie, uh, just cause I think, there's a couple different games that are widely popular games. And I think are a lot of formative experiences for a lot of people who play games yeah. or love games um, with like legend of Zelda Ocarina of time was probably the first time I saw like a credits reel and was like, what do all these people do? Uh, <laughs> and, like, what does that job really mean? And I would look it up or try to look it up or whatever. 
and then with Halo, I think I, the first one, Combat Evolved, I was kind of just blown away by that game. It's a game that I've beaten like over 30 times and love and had a lot of good times with friends with and stuff like that. Uh, and then when Halo 2 came out, uh, they had like a making of disc uh, mm-hmm. DVD with that, that I watched a lot, like obsessively mm-hmm. to some degree and yeah. like, memorize yeah. people's names and stuff like that. Uh, and so for, for a while, probably through maybe sophomore year of college, that's where I wanted to work, or at least that was like the final goal. I didn't think I would ever be good enough to necessarily do that. But, um, and then I don't know, like a bunch of smaller games started coming out. And with like the, um, arrival of like Xbox live arcade and stuff like that, where that was more possible to like self publish, mm-hmm. um, or at least more easily get a publisher for a smaller, a seemingly smaller deal just because you're not putting boxes on shelves. Uh, it became more and more evident to me that I liked a lot of these smaller games a lot. And also was a very, I guess I'm a stubborn person. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of following the rules or uh, dealing with like bureaucracy of larger companies. Cause I've worked for some companies that are either bigger or have investors or whatever to where, uh, a lot of your desires in terms of the decisions you want to make aren't necessarily the most important thing to that company. And it's all about uh, profit and stuff like that. And uh, whether or not the investors are going to get 10 X 10 times, hundred times their investment or whatever yeah. that they dream of. Uh, and that kind of changed with, with, with like, uh, I mentioned Chris Osborne and Gaijin games and choice provisions earlier. Uh, and some of those early games that I really liked were the BitTrip series um, on Wii uh, and Steam. And I played the hell out of those, uh, especially Runner. And when we went to GDC, I like made it my mission to like meet and talk to them. And then they ended up inviting us to a party and we talked to them more. And that's how I kind of made that. We made that connection with Chris and kind of realized like, Hey, maybe this is something we could actually do. Cause they are like, wow, you guys should, you know, make this a real thing, uh, go for it, etc. It's difficult. Here are reasons why it's really hard, but you should try. And from there on out, I've always kind of wanted to do this. And I don't know, even if at this point I could be hired at a bigger company, because I don't know if I would be, uh, compliant. <laughs> I don't know. At least you're honest about it, man. I give you that. <laughs> like I love working with the people I work with and the way we work. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I would be happy doing it someone else's way or not. Maybe, mm-hmm. but we'll say, well, we, I would have to see, I'd have to try it. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of slow for it, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you were mentioning that you, uh, you guys had mentors that helped you, you yeah. know, at least with the business stuff along with a lot of other things. So, what were the biggest help that you guys had um, when you were setting this all up and getting things to uh, go mm. smoothly? So there's a couple different things, I think, uh, in terms of design and uh, accepting feedback from outside sources and trying to like really understand what people want out of something rather than what they're telling you. Uh, in terms of like, oh, they're playing the game and they're saying like, I hate this thing. 
and they may not actually hate this thing. They may just hate how this thing is presented to them or, or whatever. Uh, Patrick Curry was a huge influence. Um, he worked at Midway and uh, Wide Load and uh, on a bunch of other games, and he had been in the industry for a while um, and was kind of like our game dev dad to some degree because he was a professor at DePaul, and then he continued to kind of advise us and meet with us as we're making the studio. Um, and <laughs> I still remember uh, very distinctly when we brought him the first like playable demo of the first Octodad. And you could tell he was frustrated and was having a hard time throughout <laughs> playing the whole thing. And then just like at the end, like we didn't even have any sort of. No case notif- screen any notification that you had completed anything yeah. really. And we were just like, that's it. You won. And he's just like, no, I really didn't like, <laughs> like, I feel like I just wasted 45 minutes of my life. And I feel like his honesty and, uh, patience to like sit down and be like, these, this is why, uh, I feel this way. And I don't know. He's just been like, so caring and loving throughout all this with us for, for people who were uh, just students and like strangers initially to, to now where I like consider him kind of like family yeah. to some degree. Uh, I think that helped a lot um, with, with Chris Osborne and, and a lot of other people. Um, it was a lot about getting things in writing uh, as soon as possible in terms of like working with a team of people, because even if you love them and uh, you've known them for a while, you never really know what anyone's going to do when it's money is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and like to some degree that helped. And we, we did a pretty good job of setting some things up, but also we've over the years uh, made mistakes and learned from those and then kind of regrouped and uh, reformulated the way we do things based on those mistakes. Uh, I think it's, I think we're lucky to be where we are and that nothing worse has happened to us so far Yeah. Uh, to this point. Um, well, I'm happy that he was able to dislike without hating, you know, yeah. that's, that's always critical is, you know, it's okay to like, Hey, you know, I'm not really feeling this and here are my constructive reasons why. Uh, yeah. I think just like that. And I don't know, being like taking it to GDC and having people play and having to watch them play it because we don't have, uh, QA and we don't have people that we could hire to work the booth. We're working the booth and like them, him telling us like, bring a notebook, pay attention to what people are doing, write things down, ask them questions, be kind. And like, don't ever, uh, like while they're playing, don't ever say anything and like, don't ever tell them, you know, Oh no, not that way. Don't do that this way or or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Stuff that's like common knowledge to professional developers, but, um, as students, we'd never experienced, you know, you can't, you can't ship yourself in a box with your game and yeah. that's to be able to help people. And that's something we had to learn. Uh, and it wasn't inherent to our understanding of making games. So, and that ruins an experience. It's like, I, I, I hate to kind of go back to my student days, but I remember I was visiting my level design professor while he was teaching in Los Angeles. And these guys were kind of demoing their like, like their source engine level design 
And so I'm like, cool, let me check this out. Right. So I'm like kind of playing around and I'm like really trying to like observe these puzzles and their mechanics. And like I'm playing it half designer, but half like I've never seen this before. Right. Right. And so this guy standing behind me is like, maybe if you place this in the corner, you'll see. <laughs> right. Like, so the first time I'm like, ah, ha, ha, I get it. And then like a second time and then a third time and a fourth right. time. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I, I don't even want to play this anymore. I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I, <laughs> it's a common thing when you're a student and especially when you're just starting out making games like you want people yeah. to do be able to do the right thing and figure things out and you want it so much that you want to tell them yeah, yeah. maybe if you shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> right i'll be like, done by the time out yeah. yeah exactly that's how you get the best feedback is one just watching them fail yeah. or watching them do it well like seeing what surprised you about their methods or about their strategies and how they attack the problems that you created for them right. that is the best time to not want to like ruin the data yeah. Just, just let the playthrough happen and then talk and afterwards say, well, we were thinking this and we noticed you did right. it. So why? You yeah, know yeah. What I mean? yeah. Even now, like we don't do a lot of surveys or anything like that because most people don't want to sit there and write for 45 minutes. Most people aren't even going to remember absolutely everything they did. Uh, and I don't know, this may be evident or may have been taught somewhere when you're at a bigger studio, but with us, it was just like, okay, we'll just watch them try to gauge what we think they want to do and why, and like notice like, oh, they poked around over here. Were they expecting something to happen when they did that? And like, I don't know. Uh, a lot of what we do and have done has been from experience mm -hmm. uh, rather than being directly taught. Um, and then otherwise, I think the thing that's probably propelled us the most is being uh, almost painfully self-aware <laughs> of where our work sits amongst other games and with people who play games and with developers in terms of what is interesting, what's not interesting, what we can compete with, what we can't compete with, uh, and what are the trends and what people are doing right now, what they're working on right now, which will probably come out in two to three years, and then trying to since we can't avoid, since we can't compete like uh, infidelity or uh, scope, attempting to do something that n no one else there would be uh, stupid enough to do, mm -hmm. basically. And that's kind of our whole philosophy in terms of like picking projects. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of scope, right? So you guys had that good initial uh, reaction to your student project, uh, you know, good press uh, going in and finally deciding to like, Hey, let's try to make this into a full thing. So turning that 45 minute demo, uh, to a full fledged game over a span of three years, I mean, did you guys anticipate about three years to make things or, uh, what kind of changes and additions or adjustments that you guys make right. uh, to improve it? I think our first goal was something like July, 2012. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, it's weird because even though at the time we knew and had been told like, Hey, if you plan on making a game and you expect it to take three months, it will probably take three times as long to make that thing. Um, even knowing that we still went into it and made like a naive estimate. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And that was our first like Kickstarter. Like we expect to put this game out at this time. This is deliverable. Uh, and that definitely did not happen. <laughs> uh, part of that was like, Oh, by the way, we're also starting business and fulfilling all these Kickstarter rewards. And then, you know, a majority of it was like, we're still making our first commercial game. And there's a ton of like, just like business and procedural, not procedural, but like, I don't know, when you submit a game to release on a console, there's a certain set of steps you have to go through. uh, Right. Cert stuff, red tape that we just had no clue about at the time. Um, And then otherwise, uh, making a PC game, you know, there's just so many different sets of hardware you have to accommodate and, and stuff like that. Um, but, but yeah, we, we expected something like June, July, 2012 ended up <laughs> January 30th, 2014. And part of that was we announced too early, I think. Uh, but it kind of ended up working out because then we got to promote the game for like three years, mm-hmm. uh, which worked for our first game. We're going to try to avoid that with our second game because I feel like we have a little bit of a pedigree to lean on now. Mm. Um, and I think it's very difficult to promote something for th- for almost three years so, uh, and keep people excited. Can we can we kind of hone in on you saying that you um, not, well, not promoted, but you announced too soon? Why yeah. would you say so you felt confident that when you announced that that was the time, right? At the time we did, well, maybe. Okay. I don't know if we were confident. I don't know if we're ever entirely confident. But Mm -hmm. uh, after we did the Kickstarter, I think we felt more obligated to continue to talk about and show things we were doing, but also not also not show things that were so in progress that people would perceive them as like garbage. (laughs) Because you know, as someone who doesn't make games, it's very easy to see something that's in progress and be like, well, what the hell did I just pay for? (laughs) You know, uh, especially back back then when people were even less transparent about making things and about the the progress on their projects and how things look from concept to finished product, um, finished game. But so we, we felt kind of compelled to put out a trailer um, and so we did things like making environments that didn't even end up in the game uh, just to pad out the trailer and make it feel exciting and show off like prototypes of different ideas we had and stuff like that. Uh, and I think we put that out. I want to say. February or March 2012 at like PAX East or something like that around that time. Because uh, we were going to be in the mega booth, which was new at the time, and show it off and 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 all that kind of good stuff, uh, and we wanted something showable. And before then, we had shown it at Minecon for the first time when that first happened. Uh, when we only had one level, we only had the church opening mm-hmm. section of the game, and there was just a lot of like probing and trying to figure out exactly what the hell we were doing. Uh, and a lot of it was out of like eagerness to just show something. I don't know. Like when you're working on something for a long time, it can feel awful to not show anyone and not get any feedback. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of what propels teams 
to finish what they're working on and be excited about what they're working on for the, as long as they have to work on it is, you know, outside players being excited or having something to say and being able to feed on that. And I think we were looking for that and we're too eager uh, at the time, just because of, of being so green uh, in the industry in general, which it, I mean, it's still a thing now that I feel like desperately want to talk about our new thing, like right this instant and tell some, like, I mean, we've told people that are, that we're friends with or whatever and had people play and do play tests regularly locally, but it's different when you announce it online and uh, people are generally genuinely excited to see it for the first time. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, and there's like an adrenaline rush that kind of goes with all of that. And I don't know, kind of chasing that um, too early can be bad. So, yeah, um, we don't have to go into specifics or anything, but, you know, I went to school with a lot of mates and if I were told to like, let's go in business with them, yeah, you know, my feelings might change <laughs> if I work with them all the time. Right. right. So I'm sure there was a lot of up and down and celebration and, you know, some depressing moments during those three years or so. Um, can you give us a general sense of dealing with people <laughs> and your, your friends and and colleagues yeah it's definitely the hardest part of running a studio i think um is the combating opinions and personalities and egos and stuff like that and trying to make everybody feel valued and uh like they're doing something that is growing them as a person like they're not wasting their time uh just like spinning their wheels doing something they already know how to do, etc. Mm-hmm. Um with Deadliest Catch, since it was creating our own studio and making our first game, I think that kind of stuff was inherent to the process of like everyone is learning at the same time. But initially we did end up losing a person within the first after the Kickstarter four or five months. Mm-hmm. Uh just because they had initially thought like, yeah, cool. This is something I'd love to do. And then once we kind of got into the fact that we were all almost all of us working full-time jobs and then also nights and weekends working on this project, they were just like, yeah, this actually is not for me. I can't like, I don't know. It just doesn't drive with with what I want in my life. Um, And we ended up having to let them go and we did it like way too late. I think Mm. we probably could have noticed that problem a lot earlier and dealt with it in a much better way. I mean, I, I like we, we separated or like they left on good terms and we're still friends, but uh, it was not easy. And, and like you said, like there are some people you go to school with that you would not want to be in business with, but you're happy to be friends with. Uh, and it, it's kind of a, feels like a freak accident that the people that I currently work with, I am still good friends with. And, can somehow um both of those be good with both of those things um because that's definitely not always the not usually the case um that that kind of evolved over time and i think um we developed and we just kind of realized what each of us want professionally and and mm-hmm. personally in our lives in general and then uh after maybe a year uh, the first year was pretty rough. And after maybe a year, we realized that like, um, 
don't know what the catalyst was for this outside of it just like being like people are generally grumpy about everything we're doing right now but <laughs> we, we decided to implement this thing where we did quarterly reviews uh and it was not necessarily just about performance but also about like how do people feel about where they're at right now and about what they did in the past quarter what they plan to do and like their interactions with everyone else on the team and it turned into these like almost groups therapy mm-hmm. sessions that were like self-run uh and so now and since then every quarter each of us says like hey this is what i did this quarter i feel like um maybe i wasn't i didn't come to work early enough every day or i was more late than i should have been but you know i got these things done and i feel good about these things but these other things i wish i had done better with and like so and so is really bugging me this quarter with like their attitude about this particular thing or whatever and like trying to talk through all those problems every quarter with everyone and it takes like a whole day but it's always worth doing because i feel like it diffuses tensions that otherwise might build and explode and cause people to want to leave um and everyone just tries to be as honest and understanding as they can be um and and it's not perfect but uh I think it definitely helps. So I have a question and this is something that's probably not talked about a lot because there's rarely any mega successful student projects, <laughs> yeah. but did your school try to get in on the deal and say, Oh, Hey, what? <laughs> you made this at our school. Make sure that, you know, yeah, that was a, that was definitely a concern initially because I know like DigiPen and schools mm-hmm. like that, they technically own that project that's created at the school, which I think is a pile of shit. Uh, or in that, like you don't see any of those professors making any of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> or, or I don't know, like this, I'm throwing a lot of shade right now, but uh, a lot of the times it's like, what game have you worked on lately? And mm-hmm. the people who are there are often not people who are currently working in the industry. And that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's neither here nor there. I guess that's just my own, my own like grumpiness. But uh, just from being like told like, "Oh, this is how you should do this or that," from people who like haven't worked on a game in ten years, and uh, things are in this industry in particular change monthly or daily. Um, I don't know. Kind of lost my train of thought there, but <laughs> it's all good. So it sounds like no, the school was just happy that you were no, successful. Yeah, they uh, they were just like, "Hey, do you mind if we promote the school with Octodad?" And outside of that, they didn't own anything, and you know, we still had the IP and everything. So we we're just like, "Yeah, cool, it's fine by us." Like you let us, you know, use your labs and stuff like that. We don't mind. Can you write uh, off our uh, half our student loans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would be nice. I'm still paying those off, but <laughs> you and me yeah. both, brother. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds awesome, man. It sounds like, uh, you know, was it a? You guys relatively stayed around the same size. Like a lot of times when I uh, hear from indie teams that are successful, they, you know, go bigger in scope, and I'm sure you guys have. But at the same time, that their team size grow or double, you know, uh, so the budget's bigger and. You can never bet on your second project doing as well as your first project. So there's that right. risk. 
but it sounds like you guys are still containing the team size for 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 that type of reason or or for some other reason i mean despite uh or other other than the fact that a lot of people didn't actually want to continue to work on octa beyond the student version of it part of the reason of staying as small as we did it was kind of like picking the people who we thought were most productive and would best fit on a team making something professionally and for money and like I don't know, just like not wasting each other's time was uh, just like, who do we think fits within that realm? Um, and in terms of staying the same size, we had seen a lot of even like medium-sized studios uh, take on huge projects, balloon up, and then have to lay off 30, 40 people or more. Uh, and then as years in, went on, you see bigger studios do the same thing where it's like, oh, we're going to make this huge project and we're going to hire on all these contractors, do our absolute best to uh, make sure that we only hire them on as long as we legally can to consider them not employees uh, and then lay them off. And I don't know, there's just like a lot of practices from bigger studios that we were just like, this is bullshit. We're not going to do yeah. this. Yep. Uh, even on a small scale, we're never going to hire anyone permanently if we don't know we can pay them for more than two years. And if and like if we are hiring them for contract work, we're going to make it completely clear exactly the amount of time, exactly what they're doing, uh, exactly when that's going to end. It's not going to be, oh, in six months when your contract ends, we'll see. Maybe we'll bring you on. Maybe we won't. Uh, which, oh my God. which I've seen happen with both, you know, friends and just then through stories through other people a lot, um, both in and out of Chicago, bigger or medium-sized studios, and it just pisses me off because when you know people who work in those positions, you see the amount of stress that those people go through, yeah. the amount of like turmoil it creates in their lives, uh, and I think besides wanting creative control. Uh, with our games in terms of the reasons we made the studio is also so that we didn't have to work anybody who treats people like shit. Uh, which is not, unfortunately, not uncommon in games and tech. Probably any industry, but, you know, only what I know in games. So. Man. Well, you know what? Let's, um, <laughs> let's, <laughs> no, this is, this is very poignant stuff. Didn't mean to but bring I, it down. No, you didn't. You didn't because actually I'm going to bring in a segment that's going to bring it up. Okay, uh, okay. I look to my right and I see this little paper that says, Larry, remember to play the Fast Five. So would you like to play the Fast Five with us? Absolutely. All right. I glad, I'm glad you agreed before even knowing what it means. Yeah, I have awesome. no idea, but I'm down. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to ask you five rapid fire questions and we're going to need five rapid fire answers. Can you handle right. that? I will All do right. my best. Question number one in the Fast Five. What was the first video game that ever made you angry? Probably the first game I ever played, which was the first Sonic game on Genesis. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, question number two. What is your favorite moment in video game history? The Warthog run at the end of Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah, that's a good one. Question number three. What's the best part about doing press for your own game? Being able to lie to press about things just to make a joke. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that when we're done, but <laughs> let's go into question number four. Uh, if one type of food had to disappear and never exist again, what food would it be? Oh, um, shrimp. Ooh, uh, I can't, I can't vouch for you on that. <laughs> I can think of many things, but uh, question number five: If you could make a buddy cop movie between two video game characters, which two characters would you choose, and who would they fight against? Oh, that's hard. That's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, first person may from night in the woods. Okay. Second person. Raz. And then who would they fight against? I don't know. Capitalism. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any good answers for that one. All right, no worries. You've completed the Fast Five successfully, but because you did it in record time, you made it to the bonus stage. The bonus, bonus stage... Is this there, a benefit a or, or a punishment? I can't tell. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on how you take it, I guess. Uh, so we have a fan-submitted question. Uh, this one comes from the infamous, most famous, and most dedicated listener that we know is Mr. P. Miller. Thank you for always being supportive of what we do. So you get this very special shout-out and the opportunity to ask this question. It says, you have to fight one of the following to the death. One dad-sized octopus or one octopus-sized dad, but you don't have to do it alone because B-Fam or L-Crazy can be on your side to help you fight. So which one would you choose? I mean, it depends. I don't know if I want to actually hurt either of these, but if, if, but if, it, was, but if it was like I have to win, I imagine it would be an octopus-sized dad just because of the size difference. <laughs> So I'm going to murder a little person. <laughs> I guess. Apparently that's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> no, all good, man. That's why we play this kind of stuff. It, you know, gets the laughs going, but <laughs> thank you for, you know, uh, playing our game and P Miller. Thanks again for the support and the question. Let's bring it back into talking about Octodad. Were there any things that you wanted to add to the game when you were doing the first one that were just outside of scope and now being a successful company, and kind of looking back, do you wish like, ah, oh, dang, like, I really wish we did push for this, but we, we couldn't. There was a bunch of mechanics that we researched having to do just with things that Octopi could do. Mm -hmm. um, like fitting into really small spaces uh, or using camouflage um, or like using their suction cups. Uh, and like, while you can like pick things up in Octodad, you can't like walk on walls or anything like that. Uh, those are all things we thought mm -hmm. about uh, and ended up being both not possible for us to do as a team just because of our inexperience and no money, but mm -hmm. also um, didn't make sense within the confines of the game because it made things overly complex for a game that was already difficult on purpose uh, mm -hmm. and making it was entirely about riding that line between like frustration and funny. Mm -hmm. So those things ended up never making it in. And I don't know if they will. Uh, I could see more than the other two camouflage being a thing. Oh yeah. Uh, as long as it's like easy to pull off. 
That'd be cool. Add some like stealth mechanic. Right, right. So you guys are making your uh, second game right now, and um, was there anything tougher? Uh, I'm sure there is, but you know, you might have came at it with a lot more confidence. You guys shipped the game, was successful, did a good job. Now you're doing your second game. You know, you're you're being more cautious. Like, oh, these are things that we encountered before. Let's do it differently. But yet again, you're encountering new problems. So what kind of new problems were you guys dealing with this time around? Uh, don't have to be specific, just general. Yeah, uh, I think something that kind of, at least me personally, I can't necessarily always speak for everybody but on the team, but uh, I'm haunted by the like expectations of both players and other developers and like wanting to impress and delight people but knowing that we have to do better than this game that we may never make anything as I think we can make a better game design wise and like in terms of how enjoyable it is to play, but I have no idea if we can ever make a game that's as popular or infectious in terms of like the idea. Cause Octodad is so like simple in that you can do an elevator pitch of a octopus who's the father of a human family that doesn't know he's an octopus and you have to keep that from them by being a good dad. And like, (laughs) that's like a very succinct, easy to understand. Like you don't need to know anything about video games to understand the concept. Uh, And I don't know if we'll ever have a game again that is that easy to kind of be like, put a brain worm in someone's head and have them not be able to like, uh, not go home and like look it up and be like, what the hell does yeah. that mean? Or what is, what does that look like? Or I don't know. It makes you immediately want to be like, you know, this wild person earlier told me about this game that talks about this octopus and this dad and his family. And like, what the hell have you heard of this? Like, so there's that kind of like expectations of trying to somehow outdo that. Um, even though I, I know our current, thing we're working on looks a lot better than Octodad, Daily Sketch, graphics wise, and like art direction, and pretty much in every way um, mm-hmm. plays better, is more of like a, a, a solid, non-buggy nightmare experience, and like I don't know, there's just something about it, about the timing of Octodad, uh, in terms of like arriving within this like fumble core, uh, like clumsy hard on purpose games genre with like Minotaur and a China shop or EnviroBear 2000 or <laughs> Quop or Quop. Oh man. Surgeon Sim or goat Sim and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and setting ourselves apart from a lot of those and that we had like a story and characters that were very relatable and stuff like that. But then, um, and also like at the same time, riding the wave of like, streaming games and let's plays becoming more and more popular as we were making the game mm-hmm. and just like a lot of stuff lined up that like some of it was that we saw it happening and took advantage of it but also a lot of it was just like happenstance uh there's definitely a lot of right things right right things happening at the right times that added up to that game being successful and so i worry a lot about that not happening, but I also know that we have the ability now, or at least I now know that we have the ability to 
recognize a lot of those things, types of things happening in the marketplace and in games and in the overall like zeitgeist of the, of the world. Uh, We're not only paying attention to what's popular in games in terms of mechanics and stuff, but ideas within media and what's popular with people and what they're like latching onto and stuff more. We think that's going to go, which I think if you're analyzing data is a silly thing to try and even ride or uh, predict. But for some reason so far, at least with us, with just getting a feeling and being like, well, it feels like people are doing this or that, or like we are really enjoying these things that are coming out. It's helped us navigate a lot of um, same sameness of like games that are being released to create things that stand out and that people can relate to. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And then, and then like some obvious, more obvious things, I guess, are just like having a budget now or, or at least having money to work with at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And having done well enough to where we have the privilege of just working on this thing and not worrying too much about that money is both like a, a, a bless, a blessing and a curse. Um, because currently the way we plan for things is we want to finish this game. And even if it entirely bombs and does terrible sells zero copies, uh, we will still have X amount of money to make like another Octodad or something else, uh, to attempt to then save the studio with something smaller and less ambitious. But the studio was made in the first place to make weird shit that no one else would think to make um, because we know that we can make anything yeah. relatable to people or just like in, in, in that everyone in the studio's interests somehow collide in this weird way and that we all like and hate different things and it ends up making this weird amalgamation of I think what a greater public likes and dislikes and that might just be uh, bullshit, but that's at least what I think. <laughs> well, man, I have to give you designer kudos points for one of the things that I, uh, so let me lean into my complaint first before the kudos. So my worry with where the game industry and where game consumption is right now is that like, we're going to see the dying day of games like uncharted, like action adventure, or even just any sort of like handcrafted linear experience that's story driven. Because as soon as one popular Let's Player or YouTube streamer like covers your game, they give you exposure, but they also pretty much just show the whole story, all right. the twists, all the turns, and all the surprises. And I don't think that that helps anybody when it comes to like wanting to enjoy the experience after being exposed to it that way. Right. Now, here's my kudos. With a game like Octodad, even though it's like, hey, go do this for me, right? Like that's only 5% of the experience because yeah. 95% of it is actually being able to recognize the key and get it to the lock in the first place, manipulating uh, all the appendages to move and to line things up properly. So because that almost requires mastery, right? It doesn't matter that I know that I need to take this milk and put it in this cup. It's the fact that I have to do it and it's going to be somewhat difficult because... Right. 
yeah, so like anybody can, even if I knew the whole story, I would still want to get the game because I want to see how well I can do it compared to the other person that I saw online. So I think that really helps your game. And I think that I hope that more game developers who are doing like like a single player kind of, even if it's narrative whatsoever, that they start thinking about those types of mechanics or features. And it may not work for everyone, but just, you know, I think it helps. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, that's entirely on uh, Majdi Badri and Mm -hmm. Kevin Zoon and John Murphy, our designers. Um, But I think that's we definitely wanted the comedy to be in the gameplay rather than just yeah. in the writing, yeah. um, which is really hard to do. It's hard to make gameplay that's funny naturally mm-hmm. through just whatever the player is attempting to do mm-hmm. um, without it being like unintentional with some sort of glitch or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least uh, there are not many people that design that way. Um, like Bennett Foddy is a person who does design that way. Um and his aren't always intentionally funny, but rather still like to make you mad and think about things. But um, yeah, that's definitely something that the whole idea behind Octodad originally was uh, trying to be in someone else's head and control their actions uh, kind of indirectly. Originally, it was this like, it was inspired by Jurassic Park Trespasser, which is a PC first-person shooter game where they had a lot of weird physics mm-hmm. in the arm of the character, and they were trying to make it really like amazing and immersive, and it ended up just being this kind of like funny, weird thing uh, that people on YouTube were playing. And then we noticed that that was funny, and we're like, we could probably take this kind of thing and make it into a full game and do it on purpose. Um, and so there's this like being John Malkovich, Men in Black, like driving a cyborg with little levers in its head, sort of thing. And originally that was just a you were like stiffly walking down the street trying to get this guy to just seem normal. Um, and at some point there was an alien in his head doing that, and then it was an octopus, and then the ideas kept kind of rolling, and we were like, well, it'd be funnier if an octopus was in the suit itself but people still didn't know that it was that it was an octopus and you just had to try and be normal and then that kind of it's interesting because like the perception of people outside playing the game versus us making the game was pretty different or at least in that i didn't expect people to relate so well to that feeling of like otherness or awkwardness um initially but then just like through the responses that rolled in from people who either had a disability or they just didn't feel like they related well to other people uh, and, and stuff like that. Um, then playing this game and being like, oh, other people can understand how I feel, even if it's just like a little bit by playing this weird game about this octopus uh, about wanting to like fit in, which I think, you know, to some degree, absolutely everybody feels that at one point or another. Um, so that kind of came out of a weird place for us that I don't know if we intended initially, but then once we realized what was happening, we like grabbed hold of that and we're like, oh, okay, this is what this game means to people. So we should really pay attention to that part of it and try and drive that home. Um, which is another thing, like going back to the question, like what are we worried about now is since we kind of had that almost 
alpha test in a way with the first mm-hmm. student version of Octodad, uh, being able to rec- recognize like this is what people like about this and what we should do more of or focus on. We don't really have that with this new game to the same extent, at least. I mean, we're like playtesting it internally and locally and with people we know, but it's not as wide of a test. So you're not going to get as as many reactions to kind of feed off of engage uh, exactly what people like and don't like. So that's a definite worry. Uh, but I don't know, not every game gets made in the same way and not everything is good for the same reasons. And Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Brennan, you got any other uh, questions in the queue? Because you know what time it is. Yeah, I do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Phil, um, uh, I know you guys are not, you know, doing um, as much press for your second one until it's ready to show, right? You guys are purposely doing that. Uh, At the same time, you know, we don't have to announce the length uh, of development, right? But is it around the time that you feel initially that is it progressing as as well as you you think you you're doing? Or uh, it's interesting because since we announced Doctor Dead so early in its overall like timeline from concept to release, uh, it. F- with this new project uh, kind of in recent months or, or I don't know, in the last year, it was kind of like, okay, we're ready to announce and we think we're at this point. And then we do like a play test and, or we're just like thinking about like, what would we do for a trailer or what would we do for the announcement and realizing like, wait a minute, we're still missing all these things we think are essential to people understanding what this really is. Um, and so it's weird kind of trying to use our past experience to then gauge what makes sense to both show and when to show it for this, because they're just another part of our goal with young horses was to make games that were entirely different from one another every time to the best of our ability, uh, just because we could, as long as we could. And since that is the case, it's hard to look at a previous project and then be like, oh, well, since this went this way and in this order, uh, this other project should also do that. Or like, that makes sense. Since they're so different, it's hard to even base one off of the other. But uh, we've been working on this new one since full-time as a full team since like February 2015. Um. And it's a much bigger game, uh, of course, because like even though at the beginning we were like, oh, we'll make a small game maybe and like put it out in a year or something, and you know that never happens, and uh, at least not with a team like ours. And uh, but I think we'll be ready to announce it next year, and it's in a spot where I'm pretty happy with it right now, and I think it's something special, and mm-hmm. I'm no longer as wary about it as I was even like six months ago. Okay. That's good. Um, like we're to the point where we're, we're pitching 
uh, announce trailers and like talking about how to best communicate what it is and how to best like lead people along for the ideal like timeline for us or as I see it is that uh, we would announce and then we would release it with like a year later. Okay. Uh, so we can have like three or four poignant, uh, interesting announcements like during that time, instead of trying to drag it out for years and having people be like, yeah, I understand what this is. Like, just, <laughs> just release it already. <laughs> like, why are you <laughs> like, I've been hearing about I've this, seen this trailer cut up so many oh, times. <laughs> right. You're adding, right. You're adding more spaceships, huh? Oh, okay. Awesome. You're, you're right. rewinding the trailer this time. Come on. I, I get it. <laughs> so just like trying to balance, like getting people excited and giving people a chance to find out about it. Uh, Cause not everybody sits on game news websites all the time. Like I do. Uh, and then also not like overstaying our welcome kind of, uh, from announced to release, uh, was our goal with this game. Well, I'll tell you what, if uh, a year from now, there's a small hour window in your press schedule and you want to come back through and tell the audience, we would obviously be very happy to have you back because this has been a really good podcast. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure I'll be more excitable. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, it's weird going on and talking like as much as like we owe absolutely everything to Dr. Dad. It's weird after, I don't know. I don't know. We've been young horses for like six years now and we've had Dr. Dad before that. So wow, yeah. still talking about Dr. Dad after that amount of time is weird. Yeah. Also yeah. when we've been working on this new thing for two years and I can't say anything too detailed mm. about it. Mm. It's odd. Uh, but I'm I'm excited. I wish you luck with your fireman game. <laughs> no? Not a fireman game? Damn. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the try. Hmm. Or the try. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I kind of took a glance at my iPhone and it blinked to tell me that we've been podcasting for over an hour. So <laughs> I need to give you a gift. Oh. This gift is the gift of silence, as in Brandon and I are going to be quiet while you talk directly to our audience to shout out, promote, raise awareness, or just, you know, tell the people about something that you care about, something important to you, or even advertise anything that you want people to know about. So without further ado, Philip, the floor is yours. Cool. So uh, there's actually a charity that I really like called Able Gamers uh, that spends a lot of time making games accessible to people with disabilities. Um, and it would be great if you could go and donate to them. Uh, the URL is tiltify.com backslash A-B-L-E-G-A-M-E-R-S hyphen charity backslash uh, A hyphen day hyphen two hyphen <laughs> game, which is a little bit long, but they're an awesome organization. And we've seen a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to play Octodad be able to play Octodad because oh, of them um, and they give a lot of talks at different events and stuff like that too about accessibility and games and uh, a lot of games because of them from the beginning have uh, kind of involved them in their conversations about uh, what they're making and how to make it most accessible to the most people uh, so that anybody can play their game otherwise I would also like to say that you should go out and if you have a Nintendo Switch or Steam, or on PC or Mac or whatever, uh, go out and buy the game Oxen Free, mm. uh, just because it's like an excellent narrative uh, adventure game with a 
conversation system that I adore because you mm-hmm. can interrupt people and be interrupted uh, when you're making decisions and choices. And it's just a cool, like mysterious nineties kid game that I think everyone should yeah. experience. Stranger things, the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's about it. All right. Well, I really like that charity that you picked and because it's also game related, I, uh, I won't say I game dev unchained is going to be the first to take up your offer and make a donation. Oh, awesome. uh, I won't say how much <laughs> any, any know. amount helps. We are going to contribute, uh, as soon as we hang this up. So thank you for recommending them. And I'm going to go take care of that. And other than that, it was great having you Larry Charles say good night. Thanks for having me. Yeah. See you, man. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.